0: That kind of beauty does not come without a lot of hard work, and we're deeply grateful. We are, as you already have uh, noted, we're, we're talking about peace. We're in the seventh week, the seventh of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, of course, are the introduction, the, the blessings, the eight blessings that form the introduction to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he pre- which he preached there, Uh, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Today we come to Jesus' words, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. There always has been conflict. As long as there have been imperfect humans, there has been conflict. It just feels like uh, it's getting conflicted her and conflicted her all the all the time the the conflict seems to be more intense it seems to be more bitter it seems to be well we just seem to be getting a little meaner so it's a good time it's good timing for us to talk about being peacemakers Jesus of course <clears throat> was not always surrounded by peace in fact he made some people so mad they they killed him. And Jesus said those unusual words that are still hard to understand. He said that, that he had not come to bring peace, but a sword. That's really hard to, to understand. But we also know the importance of making peace, as complicated as it is. And in the Bible, there are two kinds of peacemaking. This is really, really, really important. By the way, would you get your, uh, I forgot almost, would you get your uh, worship guide right under the, uh, the, the words to the, uh, the, the song that the choir just sang? It says sermon, and then there's uh, uh, an outline. Would you please follow that? That will make me feel a whole lot better knowing that you're following that. that I am. Um, Uh, This is just so much to cover, and I have only two hours to cover it, so I would uh, be real grateful if you would follow along. So in the Bible, there are two kinds of peace. There's the kind of peace that we typically think of, and that is minimizing conflict between people minimizing conflict between people. That may be between uh, you and your friend, or me and you, or you and you. It's, it's, or you might be trying to minimize conflict between others. So, minimizing conflict between people can be between you and someone, or it can be when you're trying to bring peace to a conflicted situation. So the first kind of peace in the Bible is minimizing peace between people. The second kind of peace in the Bible is, is making sure that everyone is experiencing that shalom, that irene in the Greek, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. It's experiencing, making sure that everybody has an opportunity for life at its best. So the second kind of peace in the Bible, and we're going to talk about both of them, is, is making sure that everybody has an opportunity to experience life at its best. I actually have two books in my uh, library that... That demonstrate these two kinds of peace. So, this first one is by Ken Sandy. It's titled The Peacemaker, and the subtitle is A Biblical Guide to Resolving Personal Conflict. This is the typical kind of peace we think of. It's when we want to be in peace with someone else, or we want to maybe be a mediator between people who are in conflict. So, So, the first kind of peace, again, is minimizing conflict. The second kind of peace is illustrated by this book, uh, Blessed Are the Peacemakers. Blessed Are the Peacemakers. This is about uh, eight white ministers in the 1960s in Birmingham who worked for this second kind of peace, making sure that everybody has an opportunity for life at its best. Now some, They didn't move as quickly as some wanted, and they didn't go as far as some wanted. But they, went, they moved more quickly than some wanted, and moved farther than others wanted. But they were working hard at making sure that everybody no matter the hue of their skin or the accent of their tongue, had an opportunity for life at its best. And it was costly for them. Some of them, uh, all of them had people within their congregations or denied screamed that they should leave. They had, they had uh, death threats. They had crosses burned in their yard. But they were, they were making peace. They were trying to make, give everybody an opportunity at this, at this shalom about which Dr. Ragland spoke a moment ago. So we're going to talk about both of those kinds of peacemaking uh, here now. So f- uh, let's talk first about minimizing conflict uh, between people and let me ask a, a very personal question that you'll ask I ho- uh, that you'll answer I hope honestly although uh, silently are you, a, are you a peacemaker or a peace breaker do you tend to bring peace to situations or do you tend to ratchet up the drama and the conflict by by nature when you're around do people tend to not talk about others, and not attack others? Or or do you find yourself often in the middle of some kind of conflict and, and drama? If you find yourself often in the middle of conflict and drama, we're going to come around at the end to talk about why that might be the case. But let's just assume for the next few minutes that all of us are are peacemakers, that we want peace between ourselves and others, and we want to even mediate, and we want to bring peace to conflicted situations. That is hard. Peacemaking is is not for the faint of heart. But the Bible gives us some real good guidelines for making peace. They're They're on your outline for biblical strategies. Number one, the country music's always a great place to go. Remember Tim McGraw's country song, Always Be Humble and Kind. That's good for peacemaking. Proverbs 15.1 reads, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I wrote those words on a piece of paper, and I taped them to my wall. We were living in Nigeria. I was teaching in a seminary, and... And out of my immaturity and my impulsivity and some insecurity, I had spoken harshly to some students. I had spoken more than once harshly in my classroom. And I began to realize that I, I really need to change. So I wrote those words. It was very plain concrete walls. So I, I wrote those words and just taped them up right behind my desk because I needed to remember that a gentle word settles things down, but a harsh word stirs things up. Proverbs 15.1 reminds me of verbal judo. Have you ever heard of verbal judo? Verbal judo is a book that was written for peace officers, for law, uh, law enforcement officers, to help them de-escalate conflict. It was also um, recommended for sports officials, so that's why I read uh, verbal judo. Now, I don't know a thing about martial arts, but but apparently judo, and look at me doing, I don't know, judo, that's going to be on YouTube, I'm afraid, me doing that judo. So, judo is not so much about, you know, the judo, judo chops, but about, uh, about de-escalating, about deflecting, look like grasshopper, don't I? Deflecting those... Those, and de-escalating the, the fight instead of, instead of returning harshness for harshness. Remember, a gentle answer calms things down. A, a harsh word stirs things up. So if we want to be peacemakers, remember the importance of, of a gentle answer, of not retaliating not, not paying harshness for harshness. Second thing, and it's on your outline, overlook small offenses, and this is so important. And by the way, when we're doing these, we're going to encourage others to do the same. So overlook small offenses and encourage others to do the same. Proverbs nineteen eleven: a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. A lot of the drama among us is based on things that aren't really all that... Important. Somebody says something offhanded. Somebody says something that's somewhat offensive. Peacemakers just, they follow the advice of, of frozen, what, who was it, Ella, was that her, what was it, Queen, Elsa, Elsa. You remember what Elsa said, what'd she say? Let it go, just let it go, let it go. You know, we do, if it's just a, if it's not that important, Just let it go. It is a wise person overlooks minor offenses, and so much of our conflict is based on little bitty stuff. Third, follow on your outline. Third, be willing to lose and encourage others to do the same. One of the toughest things about the Jesus way when it comes to conflict is being willing to lose. Remember when we talked about meekness, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, joy that nobody and no one can take away from belongs to the one who is meek. And we remembered that meek does not mean weak, meek means strength, under control. Remember we we repeated that, power under control. The Jesus Way says, "Be willing to lose in the conflict." And that takes a, well that takes a lot of uh, a strong heart, a, a deep character, a profound character, to be willing to say, "You know, I've got the power to win this. I have the ability to, to cut deeply, but for the sake of the greater good, I'll choose not to win this argument. I'll choose to lose in this conflict, but to be a peacemaker, we have to be willing to be meek, which means we are willing to lose. Number four, and it's on your outline, consider uh, the source. There's a verse there, Romans 14, 1, in, in the message it reads, don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong in opinions but weak in the faith department remember they have their own history to deal with treat them gently what an interesting phrase some people have their own history to deal with i was in kentucky this was a long time ago i was visiting a lady in the nursing home a member of our church and i was walking down the hall toward her room and i noticed coming toward me in a wheelchair being pushed was a lady that looked like one of the residents an elderly lady was being pushed toward me and I had not even gotten up near to her when she yelled at me. And she said, you better speak to me. You better not ignore me. I didn't even, I didn't even know her. But I, I walked over, and I kind of leaned over, uh, and, you know, I, I made nice, and I asked her how her day was going, and I was wearing a, a polo shirt. And a polo has the horse with the rider on it, you know. So I'm, I'm over there talking to her, and she said, uh, What's that on your shirt? Is that an ink spot? And I said, no, this is a, and I was trying to be cute. And I said, no, I said, this is a horse. This is my cowboy shirt. Do you know what she said? She said, well, that's good enough for you, you old jack. (laughs) Mule, she said, you old mule, she said. I didn't even know her. I said, well, you're just a little old lady in a wheelchair is what I said. No, I didn't say that. I I wouldn't say that. I did what you would have done. I, I just smiled and kind of laughed nervously. I didn't know what to do. Some people have their own history. Was she struggling with dementia, perhaps, or did she have her, did she live with, deep pain perhaps those wounds that Amanda talked about those wounds maybe she was a good judge of character or maybe <laughs> maybe she had her own story we would, to be peacemakers we need to remember that everybody has their own, their own stuff and sometimes the thing is not the thing So let's be peacemakers. Let's make sure we do our best to minimize conflict. But there's a second kind of peace, and that, remember, is making sure that everybody has an opportunity at life at its best. Peacemakers certainly introduce calm into turbulent situations. Peacemakers introduce calm. They tend to make everybody take just a deep breath. But peacemakers don't ignore Uh, hard issues They don't sweep hard issues under the rug. They tackle hard stuff When someone is being denied opportunities at life at its best The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. You've heard that a number of times already it it means peace But it's more than just the absence of conflict peace is a holistic experience it's what uh, in it's what the Chamber of Commerce would call quality of life it's 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 faith and its finances its opportunities its health it's the totality of our experience so it is well-being in a holistic kind of way a holistic well-being the greek equivalent is Irene. That's what's in Matthew five nine, which is the beatitude, "Blessed are the peacemakers." It's the word Irene, which is the cousin. It's the Greek cousin of the Hebrew shalom, and it's it means thriving. It is thriving holistically. It means that the totality of one's life is good. So making peace is means everybody has an opportunity to experience life at its best. There's a long quote, and I don't really like sharing long quotes, but this one is such a good one. And I want you to follow along on your outline by by Maxie Dunham, uh, President Emeritus of the wonderful Asbury Seminary. Would you read please? Follow along as I read. The peacemaker is one who continually expresses active goodwill. Such a person does not evade issues that bring tension and division, but recognizes them, names them, and deals with them, so that reconciliation and peace may reign." To follow Jesus is never to react passively in the face of injustice, abuse, or undeserved suffering. Being a peacemaker who follows the way of Jesus is always an energetic and risky endeavor filled with vigorous, complicated, costly, and insistent goodwill. If we follow Jesus with integrity, we liberate the oppressed and set the captives free. We not only seek justice, but do justice and work to transform brokenness into wholeness in all areas of life. Peacemaking values harmony, but peacemaking recognizes that there's some things like fairness that are more important than the absence of conflict. There's some things like fairness that are more important than the absence of conflict. Tom Brokaw wrote, Brokaw wrote the, that wonderful book, *The Greatest Generation*, about the World War II generation, and he told in there the story of Andy Rooney. Some of you remember Andy Rooney from *60 Minutes* on Sunday nights. He was a commentator, but in 1944, Andy Rooney was uh, a writer for Stars and Stripes, which was the army newsletter. In 1944, Andy Rooney accompanied our soldiers in Germany to Buchenwald, one of the horrific concentration camps. Andy Rooney, for the first time, saw the horrors, the evil of which he had only heard. He saw the result of such deep hatred and such deep, terrible, well, evil. He was there when Buchenwald was, was liberated. And he said, by the way, he had, he had never been a, a fan of war. Not exactly a pacifist, but not a fan of war. But he wrote, for the first time, I saw that peace is not better than any war." Rooney recognized that sometimes conflict has to precede peace. Sometimes peacemaking, at least for a while, is really hard, dangerous, conflicted work Peacemaking means a willingness to do something when someone is not being treated fairly and does not have the same opportunities that we do. Micah 6, 8 is that beautiful, beautiful text. What does the Lord require of you? And it begins, Do justice. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, those who minimize conflict and those who work that everybody has an opportunity for, he said, uh, they will resemble the father. They will be called, Jesus said, children of God. People will see in them the nature of God himself. They'll look like, they'll look a little bit like God. When I was in high school, the late Sam Thompson was one of my teachers who took particular interest in me. He mentored me and coached me and became a friend of our family. And one day at school, and I I don't remember what prompted it, but one day Sam said, Travis, you look more like JD every day. That was my dad. I took that as a compliment. And that that, that evening at home, I said, Daddy, come come in my room. I want to tell you something. He must have wondered what it was. We sat on the edge of the bed, and I said, Today Mr. Thompson said that I look more like you every day. And Daddy, that made me feel really good. My dad was a real good looking man. I didn't quite make it, but I still I look a little like him, and I appreciate what I appreciated being told you look like your daddy. When people make peace, people recognize that the nature of God in our Behaviors, and somebody might one day just say, "You know, when you when you made that peace in the office, when we were struggling as a family, and you you were, you helped us. When you you know when you and I were in conflict, and you apologized first. I. It may sound strange. They might say, but you you looked a little like God to me." Blessed, Jesus said to the peacemakers, for they bear a striking resemblance to their Father. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who minimize conflict and those who make sure everybody has an opportunity. And finally, I'll close with this. Do you, do you know peace personally? A few minutes ago, I asked, are you a peacemaker or a peacebreaker? If you find yourself often in conflict, if, if you find yourself often in arguments, if you find yourself often in the middle of drama, there may be a reason for that. Holly quoted it a moment ago, James 4.1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from the desires that battle within you? The lack of peace between us is usually the the result of a lack of peace within us, which is why Mother Teresa wrote that prayer that's on your outline. Lord Jesus, cleanse us of those personal failings which diminish our own peace and the peace of those around us. Keep our minds and hearts serene so that we may bring peace to all we meet. If our hearts and minds are more peaceful, then the world will be more peaceful. So where does peace come from? One word, and you won't be surprised. Grace. God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love. I'm talking about peace extended to each other. Excuse me, grace extended to each other. So when we extend grace, we cut each other some slack. When we extend grace, we, we give people the benefit of the doubt. When we extend grace, we dial back the drama. When we extend grace, we lay aside our our bitterness. The word, the precursor to minimizing conflicts is grace. It's just extending grace to imperfect people. Remember Joseph Cook, that that phrase I, I quote so often, grace is the face that love wears when it meets imperfection. And everybody we meet is imperfect. So maybe we need to just extend grace to each other. But there's more to it than that. It it means grace extended to others, but it also means grace embraced for ourselves. Unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love. When I know that I am loved that purely and that deeply then I'm not always in competition with you. When I know that I'm loved with an unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love, I don't always have to win everything. And if we're in conflict and I know that I'm I'm loved, my value comes not from winning the, the conflict, but just in knowing that I'm loved so profoundly and so purely. To embrace grace, means we're not always in competition, that our value comes in being loved, not in proving ourselves. If if we would just experience grace. Corbin Addison wrote a wonderful book about sex trafficking, and and he talked about um, Thomas Clark. The name of the book is A Walk Across the Sun. Thomas Clark uh, was an attorney in Washington, D.C., his little girl had died, his marriage was over, and his life had lost direction. He decided to, for as a new beginning, he would, he would volunteer with this organization that was trying to end sex trafficking, and his work took him all over the world. He was walking down the streets of Paris one day, and he, he had not been to church since he was a child. But the door opened to a, a large Catholic church and a, a couple, an elderly couple walked out and he just got a glimpse through the door of what was inside and he was drawn as if to enter. He walked in the back of the church and he saw those little candles, they called them votive candles that symbolize a prayer and so just instinctively he, he lit a candle. And he walked down that long aisle. You've seen those wonderful cathedrals in Europe, the the columns and the stained glass and all the majesty. He walked down the long aisle and knelt down front in the altar area on the stone floor. And remembering what it was like when he was a child, he bowed his head and, and folded his hands beneath his chin. Picture him with me. His heart is broken from the loss of a child. He's ashamed over the loss of his marriage, and he's cynical. He has seen the dark underbelly of humanity in his new work, broken, ashamed, cynical. He bows there in the altar, and I'm quoting now. At first, he thought he'd pray for luck but that seemed sacrilegious. And so prompted by memories of what he'd learned as a child, he prayed for grace. For the first time, and I'm quoting still, for the first time since his little girl died, he felt a measure of peace. Hurt people, as Holly said, hurt people hurt people. But grace heals our hurts. To know that we are loved with an unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love is so comforting. Grace is the precursor to peace. And peace Galatians 1, 3, grace and peace to you. Ephesians 1, 2, grace and peace to you. Philippians 1, 2, grace and peace to you. Sixteen times in the New Testament, grace and peace to you. And so, my friends.